Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're now seeing these reckonings and they're happening sequentially instead of like simultaneously. Um, and, you know, for hip hop, it's happening later. And I don't think it's going to happen until people like you and I who love the culture who are of the culture, who have represented the culture, I believe in a way that most people who really, you know, grew up in it, respect, you know what I mean? Start to call it out, you know? Um, And, you know, I don't think I would be a true hip hop fan if I couldn't also acknowledge our flaws. I think hip hop will always be a void for the people. Yo. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Man, I'm all right. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Am I looking clear or looking cloudy? And I don't mean my well, eyes. <laughs> my my <laughs> You are uh, severe clear. Okay, cool, cool. How about me? How about me? You're looking good, man. You know, right. I never explained, but part of the reason why I did that is, you know, I take my, my camera. Like, I'm not with that, like, having people being able to look at it, you know what I mean, and stuff, you know, so, like, I guess the gunk had gotten up on the camera, uh, but I got this yeah. thing on Amazon where you could just stick it on and slide it back and forth, so, you know. Absolutely. Now, your headphones are in, you're, you sound a little bit less than clear. I mean, I can hear you, but it's just not as clear as usual. Okay, how's it sound now? I'll project. Way, way better. You got yeah, it. Yeah, okay, I'm high energy now. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are you are Buster Rhymes on the Red Man. <laughs> yeah, speaking of that, uh, you know, I know we usually keep it uh, like EPMD and, and keep it strictly business, yeah. never personal. But uh, you have something crazy happen to you this week. Um, and I talked to you, but it's the first time we've seen each other face to face since. Yeah. Happened, so, um, man, I uh, for the first time in my life. I was robbed, you know, uh, I think of the one nine hundred hustler lyric, you know, and FYI, I've never been robbed in my life. I can't, I can't say that anymore. I, um, I live in, I live in Philadelphia. I've lived here half my life for the, for the most part, I'm 36 and I've been here since Oh two. If, uh, the math could be a little bit off, but, uh, yeah, I, um, I was robbed at gunpoint, man. And, uh, it was just a wild experience for me. I, um, I've gotten so (laughs) when I was 16 or 17 years old I I read this book by a former writer for the source and a few other rap pubs called um no more prisons William Upsky Wimsat and it just taught it taught me at a young age that you know um this idea of quote-unquote bad neighborhoods is a myth and all of this stuff so for most of my adult life um I don't always move the smartest I mean I'm very I think I'm very street smart. I don't, I don't carry a wallet. I rarely wear a watch if I'm on the street walking. Um, but I say all that to say at a Tuesday night, I was walking home. It was right around midnight and um, I didn't choose the smartest path. And uh, 
you know, I was walking a residential street that had very, very, very poor lighting. I had earphones in, which is not a great idea. I was blasting music, which is, you know, my, um, my, my happy place, my stress relief. And, um, you know, and I wasn't of, of necessarily the clearest head and, uh, yeah, a guy ran up on beside me and, and stopped and I put my headphones out and he put a gun in my face, a semi-automatic, like right here. And uh, I, at first, I just started like instinctually backing up and, and turning to run as I have, you know, at, at times in the past when, you know, um, just over the years living in Philly, like, you know, there's times you get jumped or whatever and I'm always guard up that way. And there was another guy behind me and he kind of boxed me in and he, and they said, no, 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 no. We just want your money. We just want your money. And um, as I said, I don't carry a wallet. So I just reached in. I kept my head down. Um, and the whole time, I'm just like, man, I don't. Getting shot wasn't in my mind, but getting pistol whipped or just kind of like um, cheap shot on the side of the face, which is, has happened in my life. Um, that was in my mind. And, uh, you know, it was funny, too. I had $12 on me. Um they didn't want my cards. I had my phone in my hand because I was listening to music. I was, I was, uh, I was listening to Santa Gold, which is not some hard. Uh, <laughs> that is some music possibly to get robbed to. <laughs> but uh, they took the twelve dollars. Didn't want the phone, and off they went. And um, yeah, and I mean, I'm the money's money's irre- irrelevant. I mean, you know, money matters right now. I'm I'm currently you know unemployed, but uh, you know is funny earlier in the day I had you know I had I had over a hundred you know a couple hundred dollars on me and when I left the house that night it was the first time since COVID you know since the shutdown since quarantine that I had taken uh public transportation and I jumped on the trolley and I knew that I was probably gonna be walking home and I said you know what I don't need all this money there's nothing I'm gonna buy let me just leave enough money if I sprain my ankle and I need a cab or I need to buy some water or something luckily I didn't have much on me and even the guy said he's like $12 <laughs> and off they ran um so yeah it was it was a jarring experience I laugh about it because that's how I handle um you know drama slash trauma but uh yeah I've never I've never had a gun pointed in my face and like I grew up somewhat you know around guns you know my father likes to target shoot like pistols um so I know a thing or two about guns but Never had one on my face like that, man. It was wild. And I've, I've seen shootings and stuff before, but never been involved. Yeah, you know, when I got your text, man, I was like, yeah, I was, I was shaking for you. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, we've all, you know, the COVID thing has, has taken over so much that we forget that there are so many other real dangers in the world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like, you know, you know, truthfully, like just like just the thought of like um you not being around was was like uh like kinda something that really kinda shook me. You know what I mean? Because mm. you are one of the people that has you know, is closest to me in life right now. You know yeah. what I mean? And you've been there for me through some of my hardest times in life. So that was a text that really kinda like shook me. You know what I mean? Um I was very glad though to hear that you were okay, um, not only physically, but, you know, I wanted to, you know, make sure you were okay mentally because yeah, that's a traumatic thing, you know what I mean? To, like, have a gun in your face and, like, you know, not know what the person, that's a very traumatic thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was weird like that. And I appreciate you saying that. It's funny. I mean, I had, um, I texted my girlfriend whose house I had left to go back to my place and, um, she, for whatever reason, her phone, you know, it didn't ring, you know, and, uh, you know what I mean? It didn't, the, she couldn't hear it and she slept. And so the other only person I knew, it was like, you know, around so my inner circle, you know, like you and you're three hours behind. So I knew you'd be up. And honestly, as I walked home, I think you and I had texted about some new music that had dropped or something. So I knew that you were up and, um, yeah. And I mean, you know, my takeaway is, Anytime anything ever happens in life, I don't, I feel like if you alter your life, you let whoever, whatever, you know, uh, thing it is, you know, it can be person, it can be, you know, nature, but you can't let them win, you know? So for me, I mean, I've, I've, I've stayed walking home, but at that hour with phones in taking kind of a dumb route, I was, and I drove by yesterday where it happened and I was, there's like three trees. It was just the perfect place for, you know, for lack of a better, you know, jokes. <laughs> uh, so I want to be smarter and it's just a wake up call. And, and for me, it's funny, like, no, I, um, I'm 36 years old and I laugh because like, as a, as a young kid, I often, you know, walked with that kind of attitude that I think a lot of people, um, men and women that listen to hip hop have of like testing me, you know, like, Anytime I'm on the street, like I'm very polite to everyone because um, that's how I was raised. But I look everyone I pass in the eye, not not in a menacing way because, you know, that's pointless. But I've always had an air of confidence about me. And it's funny that like that one time I didn't and I got tested and I was thinking, you know, just as a fan of music and pop culture. I mean, there's plenty of great films about people getting jammed up. But you've been, even that night in the, in the next two hours, and we can talk about that in a second, what transpired after, but like you and I were texting of um, what are the songs in hip hop where a rapper or an MC has admitted the vulnerability of getting, you know, um, jammed up or preyed on. And the immediate, the classic one is obviously regulate. And that, <laughs> that story ends differently than it starts. But um, yeah, it was wild. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, I shot, you know, most deaths, you know, got, um, but, you know, that's still third party perspective, you know, so, um, yeah, man, there's a part two to the story, though. Part two is, you know, you saw those guys run up on some dudes just like right up the, uh, on some dude right up the block and, and pull the same caper. Well, right. it was actually a woman and a man, I think, you know, and, and for me, with the gun involved, I don't you know, I don't own a gun. And I, that's been something just as I've gotten older that like has, has been, you know, a conf, you know, it's been something I've thought about, like, do I ever want a gun in the house? And, um, you know, my, uh, I, you know, people in my life, both in the city and, and where I grew up in Pittsburgh are people, you know, gun, gun beside the bed type people. And, um, or gun in the glove box, whatever. And I'm not been that. And so when I saw that happen, I felt in a way like a coward because I couldn't intervene and it was a woman and possibly um, a man with her at the end of the block where it happened with me, which is crazy because at that, at that point, you're very close to a thoroughfare, like literally 20 yards past from where this is happening. There was like five people outside of a bar, like in the street enjoying drinks. Um, you know, so it was, it's very wild that way. And uh, so, yeah, I, I get home, I text you, 
you and I speak on the phone and I, um, I've never called the police for, to report a crime on, um, somebody else that I can recall once or twice I've been driving and I've seen a drunk driver that I thought was going to cause problems. And I've called 911 and reported that. And I don't know what's transpired, but it didn't, and I'm not trying to sound, you know, dip set, stop snitching, but it didn't necessarily enter my mind to call the police. And you and I spoke on the phone and, um, the fact that what I think I witnessed after my incident dealt with a woman, you were like, yo man, you've got a sister and you know, you have, you have, um, you know, kids and all of this, you're like, you should call the police because at least it gets it on paper. Um, so, you know, I live in West Philadelphia. I have no problem saying that. And I called what I thought was the local precinct. I got, you know, kind of snapped at like, don't call us, call 911. So I called 911 and this was reluctant of me to call. And um, I called 911 and they asked me what happened. Boom, boom, boom. I explained the same thing I told you. And uh, they were like, well, to document this, we need to send an officer to your house. And I said, well, you know what? Um, I don't, I know I wasn't a jerk about it. I was just like, yo, I don't want that. I'll, I'll meet the officer on the corner. And I stated, you know, the intersection and they were like, okay, we'll, uh, you know, we'll call it in. And I went outside with uh, my dog who often makes cameos in these podcasts. And I waited for more than half an hour. Nobody showed. And at this point, you know, I had to be up early in the morning. The next morning I stayed up until after two in the morning. They never took down my phone number, but I'm assuming 911 has it. No follow through, no call. And um, yeah, it just, um, that raises a host of questions for me. I mean, you know, I've never, I've never, you know, just based on what I'll call white privilege, you know, like I've never had the, had the feeling that the police, you know, wouldn't respond to me. But at the same time, I've never relied on the police much in my life. Um, but I live in a neighborhood that has been very um, heavily protest filled every, you know, you can't really walk around my neighborhood and not see a Black Lives Matter banner or George Floyd's name um, and, you know, other martyrs in, in storefronts. So my neighborhood and I assume my precinct, if you want to go by that jurisdiction, has been very outspoken. It made me wonder, like, is this, is this the police saying, like, yo, F you guys, you're on your own. Yeah, um, yeah, retaliate. I mean, is your neighborhood ethnically, I'm assuming ethnically diverse, right? It is. I mean, you've, you've been, you've, yeah. you've made several trips to where I live. And I mean, West Philadelphia has, you know, a very um, complicated history. But, you know, for your lifetime and mine, it's been a predominantly black neighborhood. My neighborhood is is blended, but it's not necessarily one of the things I like about it is it's not gentrifying in a way that a lot of places around Philly and New York seem to like, you know, yeah, there's a CVS and a Rite Aid, but you're not like, I don't know that if a target opens up in my community that it'll be supported. It's very grassroots, very community, um, you know, driven. There's a lot of history there. And there is, there is, I mean, it's truly Philadelphia has a long history of, of, lack of harmony in its city but i look at my my community and i get a great sense and a respect for diversity and and racial and class harmony and all of these things so um yeah it was wild and, and it's funny even as i waited on the corner with my dog i was like man i don't like i've lived here a number of years i don't even want 
I don't even want to necessarily be seen talking to the police right now, but forget that vanity, forget that, you know, complicated issue. Like for the same reason you urged me to do it, like it should be done. Like, I don't want this to happen to other people and I don't want this to happen to anyone really, but I'm thinking of women and children. I'm thinking of my younger sister. I'm thinking of your children. Um, yeah, it needs, it needs to be, needs to be stopped. But yeah, I mean, it's it just a, it's been a weird week, man. It's been a weird, I mean, everyone's saying it. 2020 is odd, you know? Yeah. You know, for me, the, the thing that really got me, you know, uh, was that you saw it unfold, like literally just right after it happened to you again, you know what yeah. I mean? And I, I just thought about the fact that, you know, it, it'd be very easy for a situation like that to go bad. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And someone to, to lose their life or be, you know, gravely injured. So, you know, um, but, you know, I'm glad that you're, you're doing okay. Um, I'm glad you're willing to talk about it, you know? Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, you and I, I want to make this podcast real. It's not about you and I, but it also is. And, um, you know, this week, you know, there's plenty to talk about, but there's not a lot of music. And the podcasts that I listen to, the radio shows that I listen to, the TV shows that are talk-driven, you want to learn more about the people behind it. And, um, yeah, and it's crazy. I mean, I'll share one more thing on that. Like, when it happened, robbery was not the first thought in my mind. Like, there are, there's so much violence going on in, in the world, but also in the country right now. And I'm just thinking, like, you know, are people just, just losing their shit? Like, are people just out... Um, so when a, you know, when a dude puts a gun in my face, like, I don't know if he's trying to earn points. I don't know what it is, but yeah. that's instinctually, that's why I, um, I backed up and, uh, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's crazy. So I do think people are losing their shit. I mean, I think that that is driving a lot of what's going on now. You know, I mean, we talk about COVID from a physical health standpoint, right? We don't talk about the mental that often. But, you know, just think about the level of anxiety people are under, you know, under tremendous financial pressure because a lot of people have yeah. lost their jobs. Most people are living, you know, check to check. And so, like, you know, this is unlike anything most people have ever seen. Um, we've been forced to stay inside for, you know, three months. And now that we're able to go out, we got to wear masks, you know. Um, we got to stay six feet away from people. Every and you turn person. on the news in every the middle single, of it. Yeah. And every single person you encounter is a potential weapon, right? Like every single person you encounter is a danger to you, to your life, you know? Um, even if you decide you want to go out to a restaurant or something like that, you don't want to touch the, the menu. You don't want to touch the silverware. You don't want to, every time you touch the, the table, you feel like you've got to wash your hands. The people serving you are wearing not only masks, but like plastic shields, You're like in a hazmat suit. Yeah. Like the amount of just pure mental duress that we're all under on top of it is compounded now by, and, you know, probably fueled in part by, but, you know, the divisiveness in the country over, you know, black people still being killed on video and, um, you know, the level of protests. And so the angst that, you know, that, that that's ensued with that in an election year with an incredibly and then you've got, president, you know, and you've got where, white people day in and day out, that are calling the cops on black people, you know, right, right, and 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 walking in the stores and using slurs and brown people, you know, and yeah. and you know, 
And yeah, I mean, and, and that is that is the content that's prevailing on our social timelines. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we need, you know, we need change. But yeah, I mean, it's so it's we're, we're in a crazy. bad place mentally. We're in a very, very bad place mentally. I don't think that people I don't think we're going to understand the full psychological impact of this stuff for decades, you know, but like it's corrosive. You know, I think it's been undermined too by, by social media. You know, we talked about this a little bit about how social media has created this disconnect from people over the years. And, and that's now, you know, being compounded by the fact that everything we do is virtual. We just don't see each other as human beings anymore, you know? And so right. I think it's contributed to a level of callousness that is, uh, you know, really destructive to like, you know, the fabric of what makes us humans, you know? Man, and every every shape and yeah, I mean that I just completely agree, and it'll be really interesting to see how we come out of this year. And I thought about it too. I mean, the state of Pennsylvania, um, as I said a moment ago, like I am currently self-employed slash unemployed, and I you know applied in March. It was not until last week that I received one dollar. So, and I'm talking to a lot of people that relate to that, and you know I don't. The, the chances that the dude that put the gun in my face, he, he very well might be in those same shoes and not having a check show up. Not to say that I sympathize with my, you know, attacker in that moment, but if you're out here robbing two people on the same block, like something's up, you need that money one way or another. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not just a simple come up. Yeah. So, you know, there was some new music that came out, um, you know, Big Boy and Sleepy Brown put out a song, um, yeah. and a video. Did you see? Did you see the video? I did. I did. Yeah. You know, they've been working together. Yeah, and I forget the uh, the name. You remember the title? It's Can't Can't Sleep, I believe. Um, yeah, there yeah. you go. Uh, and the video. Okay, so the song is is cool. It's it's, it's fine. You know what I mean? Like uh, Big Boy and Sleepy have collabed obviously a ton of times, and. You know, it's not the greatest collaboration, but it's fine. You know what I mean? Um, but the video, I looked at it and it struck me because um, it was him and Sleepy, like, driving and standing around and a bunch of women in, like, you know, very, very scanty uh, bikinis just shaking, you know, all around them, you know, um, yeah. with, with no purpose other than that. that. That It didn't drive anything about the song. It didn't drive the narrative of the video. They were literally just, uh, you know, accoutrements, you know, just, um, and so you and I, you know, people, I don't think people understood this because we never really articulated it um, publicly, but we had a pretty, um, a pretty like stringent review process for and standards and practices basically for what videos we put up. And we really kind of took a hard line on videos that objectified women. Um, unless there was some other like deeper narrative behind it, you know, and mm -hmm. I had this at BET too, like even before, before you um, came aboard in 2012, when um, two, uh, two changes birthday song featuring Kanye West came up, I didn't post that song on AFH because the video was just so over the top, like objectifying women that I just wasn't down for it. You know what I mean? Um, and when we had Amanda writing for us, you know, a woman, we were very yeah, sensitive yeah. to that, you know, um, you know, and you and I just, but, you know, it struck me that like now when 
the rest of the world was kind of caught up to, you know, all the issues that women have faced and the sexual harassment and sexual abuse and things like that that was raised with the Me Too movement, that rap videos still kind of cater to this, like, you know, you know, super misogynistic and objectifying imagery um, fairly often. And, like, you know, I wanted to, like, just talk about that, get your thoughts on it, and, like, you know, explore it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, I saw the video and I thought it was like, you know, I have the utmost respect for Big Boy, Outkast, Sleepy Brown, Organized Noise, like, and they've been working together since Outkast's first album, you know, because um, Sleepy is obviously part of ON. And, um, you know, I looked at it and part of me wanted to say like, okay, well, you know, Atlanta is built around strip club culture and car candy paint culture. But still, I mean, those guys, because um, the song itself is kind of cool to me. Like, I like it. Um, and you can just do better. I mean, and I don't mean to make them the, uh, the scapegoats for that, but I do know from, you know, what you just said, I don't think it's a video that we would have posted on AFH. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we love those guys. I mean, Outkast is, you know, at the, on the Mount Rushmore, you know, for us. And, uh, yeah. you know, so to speak. So yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it, it's got to do better. And often, I think so many artists just make that video, probably because it's fun. You know, you can take a budget, hire dancers or models or whatever, bring your homies. You know, but what is that doing in the face of the culture? And what, even even something like okay, you know, um, Drake, one of his breakthrough videos was um, best That's I ever had. Which yeah, Kanye directed the video, and it was. Um, I forget who was the famous model that was in it. It wasn't Rosa Coast, uh, uh, somebody, but you know, it was very much objectifying women and, and all of that. And even still, I feel like history says that despite the star power behind Kanye directing a Drake video at, at, at that major inflection point of Drake's career, that video did little to further Drake. That video was not iconic. Yeah. And, um, you know, we'll talk about Kanye more as we go, but it's funny. He released a video, re-released a video that we never got to see that to me is everything that's great about a rap video. Um, and yeah, I mean, these, these joints, you know, I for years called them kind of like world star videos of just like strip club, even crit with money on the floor, which is such a great record. He could have come with an iller concept for the visual, you know, mm. yeah, what do yeah, you think? That's the, see, this is an interesting thing to me, like hip hop, you know, in some ways, it's so progressive. You know, we've talked about over the last couple of weeks the the protest music, not only that, yeah. that has come out like on Juneteenth, Juneteenth this year, but you know, over the decades, that has driven, uh, that has alerted people to the things that like people woke up to about systemic racism and like police brutality and things like that. Hip hop has been the driver of that, the driver of social change and the, the narrator of the streets. So it's very progressive in some ways, but in other ways, it's very behind the times, you know. Um, yeah. We took an active stand, you know, I personally, when gay marriage was legalized and, you know, ran the headline on Facebook, uh, you know, now that um, gay marriage is legal, when will hip hop stop being so homophobic, you know, like, um, um, and then you see, like I said, I think it's particularly noteworthy that it's post Me Too movement because like, you know, before that, yeah, people knew it was not like so culture and like, you know, especially um, black women would point out to black men, like how, you know, destructive the imagery would be. 
but it was still kind of accepted, you know what I mean? Um, or, you know, at least not like, not tolerated. But after Me Too, it just is shocking to me that people would con continue to put out this kind of like imagery. And it's not to sing a lot of Big Boy and, and Sleepy at all, you know, because they're not the only ones doing no. it. Um, but, you know, I, I just wonder how we can be so advanced in some ways and yet so behind in other ways. Big time. And I mean, you look at, you look at, first of all, some of the most iconic videos in hip hop, like Hype Williams, you know, Big Pimpin', Jay-Z and, and UGK, and you've got the pouring of champagne on women. You look at, you look at nothing but a G thing, um, which I think Dre and maybe Philip Atwell directed and amazing video, but let's not forget the parts of those videos where a, you got the guys coming behind and pulling the woman's top off. Or I think it was the, um, you know, F with Dre Day, where the woman's being stuck up at the party and everyone just covers like her gin, with beer. Gin and juice, yeah. Gin and juice. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, like, you watch these videos and those were my bread and butter coming up. I mean, that, that, those visuals, especially with the cars and just the attitudes, allured me into hip-hop, into you know, my life, my life's work right now. And there's so many parts of these things that don't age well. Same as certain disc records, you know. Um, and yeah, it's got to do better. And I look at myself, I mean, you asked me over the course of our friendship, which goes back to 2013, you've asked me a number of times as a white guy, like, yo, have you ever said the N-word? And I think you mean with a soft A. <laughs> oh, you know, and I, I, you know, hand of my Bible, I didn't even read it in school. I've, I've not, not even, not even like rapping, like by yourself. No, no, know, you, man. you play juicy. You don't, you don't, you don't buy don't, it. But know. I'll say, and I'm not proud of it because I have a lot of people I love that are in the LGBTQ community. You know, I've used the other F word. You know, growing up. And I, you know, I listened this week, um, the Beat Nuts, uh, you know, had an anniversary for Street Level. And I played that album a lot this week. And there's, it's filled with F-bombs, like the other F-bomb. And I think of Parrish Smith, you know, on uh, the joint with LL. And it just like so crisp, that vocal. And yeah, in retrospect, classic records are marred by their homophobia and their misogyny. And, um, you know, I would love to see hip hop do better fast in those two arenas not to say we haven't come a long way but we got a we got a ways to go i mean we you know there's still ao and pause and i'm i participate in that you know and we yeah. still got a way to go yeah you know it, it's the there are reckonings you know what i mean like and i think so me too was a reckoning everyone knew that like you know um sexual harassment was wrong it was clearly yeah. illegal uh, you know, coercing a woman into doing something sexual was 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 wrong, you know, legally and morally. Um, and so when it became public, and, you know, it's not a surprise to me that R. Kelly, even though people knew for 20 years what R. Kelly yeah. was doing, that his downfall didn't come until after that movement. It's odd to me that people didn't start to, like, take stock of other areas of life and say, wow, you know, this is not right behavior. You know, systemic racism, like, was wrong. And, you know, why didn't people start to evaluate that then, that along with me too, you know, and, and other things. And we're now seeing these reckonings and they're happening sequentially instead of like simultaneously. Um, and, you know, for hip hop, 
it's happening later. And I don't think it's going to happen until people like you and I, who love the culture, who are of the culture, who have represented the culture, I believe in a way that most people who really, you know, grew up in it, respect, you know what I mean? Start to call it out, you know? Um, and, you know, I don't think I would be a true hip hop fan if I couldn't also acknowledge our flaws. You know, yeah. It's not trying to tear it down. It's just trying to make us better. And so that's why, you know, I think it's important for people like us to have the conversation. Word. And I mean, I, I personally like the AFH's stance. I don't think you and I and Amanda and all of our contributors, I don't think we ever set out to cancel anybody. Like that was not what we woke up to do in the morning. We would have some hard questions. I mean, for me, it was very odd. I did a lot of the reporting and the research in 2015 with Africa Bambata, you know, and the sex abuse scandal with, you know, underage boys. And that was, that was hard. Um, and, but we owed that to the public and there were a lot of places that weren't ready to go there. And AFH was, and yeah, I, we hold ourselves accountable and not for nothing. I mean, sex and sexuality, there is a place for it in hip hop. I mean, a few, few weeks back, my song of the week was sugar free, you know, thinking, and I look, Kendrick Lamar made a video, what, um, you, you'll know the song, but the one with Terry Crews and the strip club, like the peep show joint. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, these walls. Yeah. Right. Right. Which is an incredible record to do that to, but there was artistic vision there. It wasn't a just like, let's hire four or five women, get the camera person to shoot, you know, certain parts of their body and let's bop, you know, bop to the beat, which again is not an indictment to, Sleepy and Big Boy, because I don't care who your favorite MC is, um, they've done it too. But I just feel like we're owed as a public so much more, and there's so many more interesting places to take the question. Yeah, I mean, that's a good example of the line, the, the lines, how we drew the lines, right? Like, you know, Kendrick, these walls, it starts off, as, as you may recall, actually, I, I was the one who pointed this out, was the, um, they did a scene based on uh, the scene from Minister Society, Minister Society. You know, in the car with AWACS and O-Dog and Kane in the car. You know, it was framed just like that. And um, the, the entire song was a metaphor for sex, you know. And so, mm -hmm. like, you know, having sexual stuff is supporting the narrative, at least. So there's some sort of, like, alignment with, with, with what it was, you know. But you, you mentioned the Africa Bambada thing. Man, dude, like, that was really hard for me, like, you know, growing up in that era, like Planet Rock was one of my, I think I told you Planet Rock was the first time I ever ex had a hip hop experience live. Mm. I was in San Francisco. It was 1982. I was 12 years old. Year um, came out. Yeah. I had never, ever like, you know, seen break dancing before or heard that song. And we were walking, I think it was on Fisherman's Wharf or something like that, my mom and I, and I saw these kids doing this space age dancing to this like, Space, the space age song and a futuristic yeah. song and it was six months later that i figured out that, that was called breakdancing and that like the song was playing a rock and you know everything that africa bambata did after that was like you know just like the shit to me and i even have a tattoo with the four elements of hip-hop and it's like a mc like uh you know it's a it's a it's a b-boy with a microphone for a torso and he's spinning on a turntable you know, one arm is a needle on the turntable. The other arm is a headphone jack into it. And on the record, uh, it says Planet Rap. Now, it was, it was old to Planet Rock, but I always thought yeah. it was really ironic that, like, one of the iconic hip-hop songs would be called Planet Rock, so I made it Planet Rap. But that's how deep, you know, my love for, like, you know, Bambada and what he contributed to the culture goes. So, 
to have to run that story was really, really painful, but it's the perfect example of how you can love something and still acknowledge its flaws, right? And want it to do better, you know? Um, yeah, so- and you gotta have that conversation. And, and for me, like, I, that's again, as the discussion moves, it's funny, like, I um true of Russell Simmons too, I have no problem as a, as a media person and as a hip hop fan, giving Bambada and Russell their flowers for their contributions to the culture. And take one step further and look at rock and roll. You know, Dave Chappelle, um, you know, thanks to you, I, I got to see Chappelle live on New Year's Eve. And in Philly, my, my girlfriend and I went and uh, he has a whole bit in his new, I don't know if the public will ever see this or not, but it's about Chuck Berry. And it's this like 15 minute drawn out joke, sort of like what he did with um, Bill Cosby. Well, the Cosby are also, you know, um, the pimp book, you know, um, and the Netflix so. special. Yeah, Iceberg Slim, yeah. thank you. And, um, you know, you look and, and Little Richard passed away, you know, a few months back, a few weeks back. And Little Richard, you know, you had Jerry Lee Lewis, who marries his underage cousin, Chuck Berry, who has a host of transgressions against women, from battery to sex charges to a host of R. Kelly-like allegations. And you still give these guys credit for their contributions to rock and roll, but not for nothing. You've got Little Richard in the middle who, you know, was an openly gay man, but never arrested as far as I know for any of this stuff. So when it looks at, you look at hip hop's pioneers, I don't believe in muting Bambada's name from that discussion. That is, that is, that is, uh, you know, damning to journalism and reporting and history. Same with Russell Simmons, but you just got to tell it like it is. And, or at least let it be known the allegations against these men. How about yeah. that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the danger of ca- cancel culture, right? Like, uh, you know, we don't want one side wiping off another side's historical achievements because they don't like something they did. We can't do yeah. th- that either, you know. That doesn't mean deny, right? We got to be truthful. Like, we should have learned, like, as kids, what Columbus really w- was about, you know. Um, yeah. You know, um, but there are some things that that still happen that, you know, um, you know so... Um, yeah, man. Yeah, it's it's really complicated, but you know, it's an ongoing discussion regarding that. You know, um, most definitely. You, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Kanye. Kanye, man, uh, that guy. So on Friday they announced a Gap partnership between Kanye and that he was going to start to make T-shirts, uh, hoodies, and um, one other like uh, uh, item of clothing for Gap. And yeah. Gap's stock increased by 40% on that day on the news, uh, the news of it. Like, you know, despite everything that's happened with Kanye, you know, with, with Trump, with the Mago stuff. And by the way, like, you know, interestingly, Kanye is one of the, the, the lead, you know, is, is making some very significant, you know, donations toward Black Lives Matter. And, and appeared in protests. And, yeah, you know, and, you know it's, he's very complicated in that way. He's never allowed himself to be put in a box. But um you know, it's fascinating to me that when all is said and done and, you know, it's 40 years out and people look back at Kanye West, he might be looked at much more as a person who um, influenced fashion than he was uh, a producer or rapper. Like, what do do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for you or I, I speak for myself, it's hard for me to ever see that for anyone who lived through the mid 2000s and watched his rise. 
but we've watched him transcend into mogul. Same as like Jay-Z will always be an MC to me first and then all of these other things. But I do feel like to, you know, an 18 year old right now, sure. You're going to see Kanye is all of these other things and then music almost as an afterthought. And um, I love this story. I mean, I, um, you know, Kanye worked at the Gap. Um, and so he did something really dope just in the last 24 hours. I don't even know if you know this, but he released the video to Spaceship, which um, was never officially released. It was in that early, you know, college dropout era, uh, GLCs in it, consequences in it. And though they don't call it the Gap, flowing in line with the lyrics of the song, all three of them are in the gap at the mall, like dreaming of their, you know, building a spaceship to make their dreams come true. And yeah, I mean, Kanye is just so deliberate to unlet, to let that go right now. That is one of my favorite Kanye songs, especially on college dropout. Um, and yeah, I mean, he went from being an employee to probably an equity play, you know? Yeah, you know, I saw that on Two Dope Boys. I wasn't sure if that was just a repost from Mecca because when I looked at it, the the video was dated two thousand nine on YouTube. But yeah, um, yeah. but you know, either way, um, you know, his impact and, and for him to like come from working at the Gap to like, uh, you know, the Gap almost working for him and to like partner yeah. like that and have that kind of impact. I hope he got equity first of all as part of his deal. Me too. It's but, a ten year um, deal, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah. But how do you? And, you know, I, th- I guess Michael Jordan is that way. You know, I, I think that most kids born, you know, after 19, after 2000, really, and that, yeah. those are 20 year old people now, like, you know, see Michael Jordan much more as a shoe mogul. Well, no, and that- I mean, you, you, I mean, you understand he was a basketball star, right? But his relevancy to you is much more about his shoes than like, you know, him watching him as a player. Maybe you watch. Right. That. Yeah. And that's what was so dope about the last dance is like, yeah. You know, I I didn't pay attention to NBA basketball in the 90s like a lot of my friends did. And I never have owned a pair of Jordans in my, my life. But I knew he was a mogul. So I watched, um, you know, I watched that and had a deeper appreciation. And I really regretted missing it, you know, during the 90s. Because I am a sports fan and that would have been, you know, I watched some of those finals games. But to not have the context of what he was really doing and what he came from, that was dope. And yeah, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for Kanye. Oh, go ahead. So, so with MJ though, like, you know, um, his legacy was what it was, right? Like it was untarnished. Kanye in a lot of ways, in theory, has tarnished his image uh, um, greatly, particularly amongst black people, you know, over the last mm-hmm. like five to seven years with the affiliation with Trump, with, uh, you know, slavery being like a choice with even potentially his marriage to Kim, like, you know, all sorts of stuff that, you know, attacking J and B, the, the, the black Royal family, like yeah. co-signing he's, Candace Owens. He's, yeah. yeah. He's violated on a lot of levels. So how is it that, you know, he can be, you know, perceived this way and yet his clothes are, and shoes are still flying off the shelves. It's a track record. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know who buys easy. I made the comment about Jordan's, which might change in the near future. But um, I've never owned a pair of Yeezys. Have you? Like, I've never owned anything that Kanye's I would. design I can't that I know. get them shits. I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> if you get the hookup, let me know. <laughs> Word. I mean, yeah, I mean, I wonder. And, and, and truly, his track record with Adidas is nuts. No. So a lot of savvy day traders were probably like, yo, it's happening at Gap. And Gap has such a more accessible price point that this is, this is, this is only going to work. Um, you know, and it's, 
it's funny too. I don't, I don't have the answer to that question. What do you think? Man, I don't know. It's, it's, it's actually bizarre to me, you know? Well, you know what it is? Uh, okay. Here's my theory. Just like off the top. Mm-hmm. I don't think that people care anymore about what a person um, stands for. What's more attractive is how loud and um, attention grabbing they can be. And six nine is the perfect example of yeah. that, right? Kanye is is like six nine. You know, I, it's almost like people who like professional wrestling. You like the heel, you know. You like yeah. Darth Vader. You like you know whoever can command the attention. And Ye is is masterful of that. Like you know, I used to say that he was second only to Trump in terms of his ability to command attention yeah. and now i put him like behind six nine you know um, and that's true too because there's a lot of uh there's a lot of you know meat and potatoes republicans that would have never co-signed what trump stands for but simply because of his party affiliations and what he's fighting against they get behind it you know yeah. there's a lot of like w era republicans that it amazes me but there they are and he's loud and he's you know brash and all of these things and yeah six nine kanye um it's crazy too. It's you a know. cult of personality, and I think that, you know. I think that the thing that all three have in common is they have an air of uh, just doing whatever they want to do. You know, um, yeah. they march to the beat of their own drum. No one dictates how they move, and I think that um, people love that. I think it represents freedom. I think people, most people aspire to that. Now they might not subscribe to the ideology. Yeah. But they want to have that kind of bravery, that kind of courage to just do whatever they want to do. And I think that maybe is what it stands for ultimately. So you have uh, you have three almost teenage age sons. Um, do they think the gap is cool? Do you have any sense for their uh, they never, temperature? Like, they've never had any gap stuff. Like, you know, um, yeah. my youngest, first of all, is like, you know, a hype beast when it comes to shoes. That dude, like, you know, he can <laughs> tell you whatever shoes and like, you know, he yeah. would read me on my shoes every day. You know, like, he's like, yo, man, those shoes is like, how come you wear no shoes, dog? Like, I mean, <laughs> my oldest yeah. too, my, my middle son doesn't really, you know, he, fashion is, he doesn't really care about it so much, you know, but yeah. None of them have, you know, and even when it was back in the day, it was like Abercrombie and Hollister was it for a minute, you know, and now it's Jordans and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, my youngest, my 10 year old would love a pair of Yeezys. Like, yeah, he, you know, he, he knows the online sites to go to and like, he, you know, he, Flight Club in New York is like a fantasy place. Stadium. And yeah. yeah. Um, but I guarantee they'll, they'll check for Gap now. Yeah. It's That's interesting. It's interesting. And that's what I thought too. Like growing up for me, I uh, Gap was always interesting. Like they in the early '90s seemed like the cool store, you know. And actually, JP who was part of AFH for some years, had a position at Gap, and he told me something that blew me away. Is like in San Francisco in '69, which is you know the year that they throw on all their stuff. Gap began, I believe, as a record store that was re- that was buying up Levi Strauss and and reselling them at a premium when those were the Yeezys of the late '60s. And then they build in manufacturing. But I remember like as a, as a teenager, the Rob Swift commercial with Gap, with him and Shannon Sossamon, like on the crab script, like, like, like Gap has tried to dabble in hip hop before and they've done it with some integrity. This will be interesting to see yeah. because I don't know that Gap is super relevant. Um, they had the LL and, commercial. We, we reposted that, right? When, when LL right. Uh, hijacked them to like make it into a FUBU ad. Like that was right. this <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, for those who don't recall, you know, it's on the site, but like, you know, LL did this, it was a, a high paid spokesperson for the Gap and made it real cool. 
was that was like L at his pinnacle. And you know, his tagline was Gap, it's for us, by us. And he had the Fubu hat on. It was like the <laughs> illest the illest classic L L. Yeah, like yeah. So yeah, but yes, they they were kind of like Sprite for a minute where they had legit like uh yeah. affiliation. Cultural capital. Yeah. So you know, this week I I listened to something that I found so interesting. Um Beastie Boys, you know, in the last two years, Beastie Boys came out with a book. Um, I did the audio book, which they read, and then a lot of guests come in and read. They had Nas, Will Ferrell, LL, you know, a host of different people. Great book. The audio book was dope. You don't get the photos. That's I need to buy the audio book. And then now, um, a couple months ago, they have the Apple TV exclusive, which I encourage everyone to watch. Documentary directed by Spike Jones, but it's um. It's a stage show, sort of like what Mike Tyson did. And there's a lot of cool video and footage, um, more, more photos than anything that they, they kind of like talk through, um, especially remembering MCA. So last week, um, Ad-Rock and, and Mike D go on Rick Rubin's Broken Record podcast, which, um, you know, we've covered before. Rick had that big conversation last, late last year with Andre 3000. Um, he's had some dope guests over over. Over time, it's him and Malcolm Gladwell, but Gladwell's not on this one. But it's the first time Rick Rubin has spoken to at least Ad Rock in 20 years, and um, it's a raw, really interesting podcast. As we talk about, um, kind of muting names. Oddly enough, Russell Simmons' names only mentioned one time, but it was dope to me just as a fan of both Rick Rubin and the Beastie Boys. There's tension in the podcast, and I really um encourage anyone to listen to it um spike jones also sits in on it but did you first of all did you hear it i haven't heard the podcast i saw the follow-up interview and uh, the washington post with rick rubin because the guy was saying that you know rick kind of skirted some of the he skirted some of the potential um conflict in the podcast you know uh, especially when it came to discussing what led to their fallout, which seems to be have been financial, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently like he and Russell were making like 90% of the royalties and the, the BC boys themselves were making 10%. And I, I guess they felt a way, especially since Rick was considered to be kind of like a, the fourth member of the beasties, you know? Um, and so I saw that, but you know, what else, what, what was the, ten, where was the tension? Well, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, Rick, Rick does position himself as like, the four of us. And it's, it's wild too, because if you've read the book, you know, there was a fourth member of the Beastie Boys, um, Kate, her name, her last name's like Schellenbach. And she went on to become an, uh, I believe the drummer in Luscious Jackson, which the Beastie Boys put out on Grand Royal. But you know, when they were a punk band, it was, it was the three of them and Kate and they had made Cookie Puss and done these records and then come across Rick Rubin and, and Russell and the group very quickly evolved into licensed to ill era beasties and there's a lot of regret in the book both on how they treated their friends kind of as part of this you know manhattan brooklyn scene but also like the misogyny in those records and kind of the frat bro you know imagery and in the book they they credit rick with a lot of that you know rick was this guy from long island who really dug you know acdc and led zeppelin and i guess he liked like porn and you know, he brought a lot of his own style and projected it through the group. And he began as the DJ. So and interviews going fine, a lot of pleasantries, 
little bit of awkwardness and you have Spike Jones kind of coming in and mediating a bit. And then all of a sudden, I think it's Ad-Rock that's like, yo, Rick, why did you leave us in the middle of the Madonna tour? It was said that you couldn't fly because you had an inner ear infection, but uh, that never seemed accurate to me. And it's wild because, you know, Rick Rubin is one of these guys sort of like Dr. Dre or Eminem, maybe Kendrick Lamar that I think we picture as living, you know, on a cloud and very rarely are they in a controversial light. And Rick, he answers the question. He goes, no, it's hundred percent real, but there's moments like that. And as Rick is kind of angling in as like the fourth member, you can hear these very like pregnant pauses from Mike and Adam. Um, and I'm not trying to like, you know, muckrake, but it was just a raw moment because, you know, sort of like everyone wants to know, like, you know, will De La Soul and Prince Paul ever make more music together, which, you know, they have, you know, sporadically over time. Will, you know, all of those kind of like questions, Snoop and Dre. And here you have a very successful diamond certified album in License to Hill. And it's wild. In 20 years, these guys haven't talked to a guy that kind of brought them in the game. And to have that discussion in public is, is crazy. And the other thing, I mean, it ends very abruptly. But what was dope, too, is, um, you know, they just talk a lot about hip hop. You know, Schoolie D and Slick Rick, they said that um, Rick had an early demo of Children's Story and how in those years, in like 85, 86, the four of them would just play the hell out of that demo. Um, which is cool. And they do talk about, they give Ad, um, Ad-Rock his props for kind of finding LL's demo tape, which, you know, chartered the history of Def Jam, you know? Yeah, yeah, we talked about that, about him kind of uh, fishing LL's demo. It, it, did he pull out of the trash or, or no, he just he just found it in a pile and like- Yeah, I think the pile. Brought the attention, yeah. Um, you know, actually the Eagles, it was, uh, no, it was uh, Jackson Brown who fished the Eagles uh, demo tape out of the trash at Geffen. Um, and that's, oh, wow. That's how, he, that's how the, the Eagles were, were uh, he gave it to Geffen. Yeah, but similar story with uh, with um, Ad-Rock and LL. You know, like, y- when you think about them, um, you would think that they, in particular, would not take for granted that they had time to kind of iron out their differences, you know, because obviously MCA is gone. You know, and so things like that, I think, kind of give people perspective. You know, money is money. Uh, everyone ended up doing okay. We made something great together. Let's go back and see if there's, you know, a foundation there to repair it. But, you know, it was interesting to see. Um, it, sound like, it sounded like they were on that path. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, no mention of money and no mention of, like, the complete redirection the group take took with Paul's Boutique, which... If people want to understand more of that, I've never heard them really open up like they did in the book. And they talk about it a bit, um, you know, in the Apple documentary, which I encourage anyone to watch. It made all of this, you know, made me even yesterday when I checked the podcast, I put on License to Ill, which as we're talking is not an album that's aged gracefully, you know, in terms of modern misogynistic lens and all that. But again, like you still have to play it and understand it for what it is. And I... I've been doing that with that album, oddly enough. Yeah. You know, so we talked earlier about like Ye and other people who have broadened um, their reach far beyond music. Uh, so um, an entity that has become really, really among probably the top five most popular acts uh, for AFH now is Griselda. And Griselda released a trailer this week for a movie they have coming out. Uh, did you get a chance to check out the trailer? 
I did. I did. Yeah. You know, it looks like it shot pretty well. It looks like, um, you know, a classic hood flick. You know what I mean? Like, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and you think about Streets is watching and, you know. I got the, the hookup. I got the hookup, all the stuff, you know, uh-huh. that Master P released. Um, and, and Gun, you know, Westside Gun released a an IG likening it to in that tradition. Um, though, now we know now from looking at those 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 films were very poor production value. Um, acting left something to be desired. Writing the whole nine, but they still felt good because um, they were fully self-contained, and it seemed self-empowering. You know what I mean? Like for these guys who were making music to take their own destinies in their own hands and be able to create a film felt like they were taken to another level in terms of becoming um, inter- entertainment entrepreneurs and moguls. So what do you think this represents as a, a next step for Griselda? Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. And I'll, I'll agree with you. Like, the trailer doesn't look like anyone needs to hold, set aside any Oscar trophies. <laughs> um, but the thing that I likened it to is back in the 90s, I or even the 80s, I mean, you can argue Crush Group is not a hood flick, but, you know, there was there were some, you know, straight to VHS rap, you know, things that started to happen back then. But back then, like, you wanted to know more. Um, I know for me, I bought the VHS of Murder Was the Case, which, you know, was never broadcast on MTV because I was a stan growing up for Dre and Snoop and Death Row, and I wanted to see everything there was to see. With Griselda, what's so interesting about these guys, even though they're so prolific, I mean, Gunn just announced he's got an album coming out in the next two weeks. Um, and it feels, feels like he puts out three or four a year now. Um, he certainly did last year. But, but there's so much we don't know. Like, um, these guys don't even have Wikipedia pages the last time I checked. Like, um, so to see a video, even though they're playing, you know, inevitably caricatures of themselves or whatever, you just want to know more. And if you buy into the music, that curiosity lends itself to other mediums. And I totally support these guys. Um, you know, well, well, I never got, I never thought No Limit made, I always thought Foolish was kind of good, you know, complete Oda Eddie Griffin, like his stand up was, was at a really good place in 98. Um, but Rockefeller got good. I mean, I think that Paid in Full is a really good movie. My father loves that movie. Um, it was a classic. That joint to me is like up there with Menace and Boys in the Hood. Like it is and Juice. Like it is like it right. is a classic. And Cam like was was brilliant in it. But yeah, and and Dame you know put on Kevin Hart with Paper Soldiers and you know th- there's cringe there's cringy stuff in that. But every era got a little bit better. Um, and Griselda, you know, I mean they're running with Rock. They're running with Shady. They seem to accomplish the most on their own. They could take it someplace interesting. And if nothing else, it lets the world know that these guys can act. And you can't tell me that, you know, when I've watched Sopranos with Lord Jamar or Tretch or, you know, go on and on in the legit acting roles that are available to MCs that can act, that West Side Gun or Conway or Benny couldn't play convincing roles in a theatrical picture. Because I totally believe they could. Yeah. You know, for me, it's not even about the acting or even the quality of the film. It's more about what it represents as a progression for them as businessmen. Mm. You start to think about, like, you know, the the three people we just talked about, and you you added Dre into that mix too, right? So you think about Dre, you think about Jay, you think about Master P. 
and each of them um, became moguls that were like exponentially more wealthy and more powerful than most mus- most musicians, specifically rappers at the time. You know, because they were thinking from a very business standpoint, and they ver- they uh, created diverse revenue streams. They had multiple revenue streams, and that's so that's how people become wealthy. You don't become wealthy from what, a single revenue stream. You become wealthy from having many. And so Griselda branching out to me is is more. I look at it from the the business side of it rather than even the okay. creative side. And I think that you know you know we've met Gun. You know we've met Benny a couple times, or you know at least I have. Like um, and and there's a difference in seeing someone on camera. It, no matter how many interviews you watch and how many times you listen to the music, there's a difference when you meet a person. Uh, in terms of like getting a sense of who they are, you know, I had the same thing about Budden when I was back when you know, I was working with Budden uh, before his, uh, you know, State of the Union and, he, and the podcast blew State up. State of Culture, yeah. You know, so, yeah. Uh, um, um, I knew that Budden was a superstar that had not been unleashed because in sitting and talking to him, I understood the fullness of his perspective, his intelligence, the whole nine, right? Meeting Gun, you know, at least I had this experience, and I, I suspect you did too. This guy, you, when you start to think about how strategic he has been in building this movement and how dedicated he has been and how expansive his thinking is around it, like I would not be surprised if Gun is a, uh, you know, hundred, you know, several hundred millionaire by the time this thing is over because he's being so intentional about building the Griselda empire. So to yeah. me, it's cool to just to see that next step in, in the progression, you know? I feel that. And, and, and you know, the thing that Griselda, long before they were even with, um, you know, Shady or Rock, they had this great ability to make people buy in an era where everything seems available to you for free. You know, these guys created their own merch lines. that Everything's limited edition. Everything is collectible. They do that with vinyl. They've done that with posters they've done that you know across the board and they've really and it's not just a money grab because you know gun is an art collector he's a designer he's a visionary they really kind of put that integrity back in the culture and there's a reason why they sell out of everything you know in terms of product and so many other artists are not able to you know um at a time when I mean, you and I know from these videos or from T-shirts, whatever, it takes a number of steps to make somebody on Instagram stop what they're doing, pull out the credit card, Apple, you know what I mean? And Griselda has that. So to take it to video with the spotlight that they have right now and the resources, not only from a creative perspective, but from a venturing out revenue stream, people will buy it in a way that I'm not sure even Dame Dash is capable of today when he does that paywall stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and Benny had his uh, his uh, tiny desk at uh, home, series at home this week, which was great. You know, um, he didn't even do like his like outsized hits; he just did what he felt like doing. You know, but yeah. it was still amazing. And he put on a couple MCs in the process. You know, that he's working with from um, I'm, I'm I'm assuming they're they're BSF rap soprano, soprano family artists, but. Um, you know, it's been just, it's been almost exactly 12 months since he re- released uh, The Plugs I Met. Um, yeah. And when we interviewed him for that, but can you think of an MC who has had a stronger 12 month period, 12 month run um, over these last 12 months 
than Benny. Has anyone had a, a better 12 months uh, this, this last 12 months than Benny? I mean, the closest thing might be Freddie Gibbs. He's right there. But Benny, I mean, the thing that amazes me about Benny is Benny is so prolific. Gibbs is too. But Benny, it's like Tupac. It's like Doom in the mid-2000s. I mean, Benny can keep doing what he's doing. And, uh, yeah, it's just um, he takes it to a much, much higher level. Um, so, yeah. What about you? I mean, is there anyone even close? Uh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm getting my uh, charger because I'm running on the juice, but, like, oh, nah, okay. man, it's not even close to me. Like, Benny, to me, is, like, I think, he, you know, when MTV used to have the hottest MC uh, of the year, you know, remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, think, yeah, sure. I, I think that's Benny right now. I can't think yeah. of a single person who's had anything close to him. Uh, you know, when you think about the big cats, like the Kendricks, the Drakes, the, the Coles, the people like that, those dudes have been pretty absent. You know, Drake has done his thing, you know, uh, but he hasn't done anything outsized. No. Uh, Benny has been on multiple projects. He's had, like, all the stuff with, you know, the Shady was announced before, but, it, you know, starting to kind of fruition now. And uh, now it's like I'm giving up a full tour of the joint. But, uh, um, you know, he has been, I think, really, truly outstanding. And not only in the volume, but the quality of the stuff that he's yeah. done. You know, every single thing he's done has been really from like even the, the smoke desert stuff with Pete Rock was crazy. You yeah. know, um, you know, his his project, the Griselda project, you know, the, the cameos, he's worked with the best MCs out from Black Thought to Royce, you know. Um, yeah, I, I can't see anybody having a stronger stronger. Yeah, he's super accessible. Yeah, I mean, really that's that's that. And and a case can be made for all of those projects being the best of that last year um i'm partial to the griselda project to me i mean people love the plugs i met but griselda the three of those guys together just really got it right for me and um benny is well, that's interesting because i remember big. back in the day you you were um, i thought you were kind of lukewarm on that when it first came out uh i'm not sure i was lukewarm i i definitely appreciated it more and more over time and there was some joints on there the uh what is it moiselle's uh you know what i mean um the one record you really like yeah. you put it on the uh, playlist, the AFH yeah. playlist and the joints that I like started shifting to the other ones. So yeah, that uh, when we did our annual um, voting the best album of the year, that was the one I went really hard for. Right. So uh, just to wrap it up, man, yeah. um, Swiss beats, Swiss beats, who is a, a statesman of hip hop. You know, we, we've yeah. written about him. And his business moves too, right? He he did a Harvard Business School program, and uh, you know, obviously, he's done incredible things with Versus, which I want to get to in a second. But you know, he had a rare kind of like misstep this week, um, and uh, you know, I say misstep because he he later called it a misstep, but he had yeah. some some choice words for Drake after uh, a leak surfaced, uh, and I I'm, I'm assuming he assume, he uh, believes that Drake. Uh, let let the record out, but it was a record with Drake and Buster Rhymes. I listened to it. Uh, it sounded to me very like 2010-ish Drake, maybe 2011. Yeah. Very young Drake, you know, both in rhyme style and, and his his, uh, his vocal tone. Um, but, you know, uh, he had very choice words for Drake publicly on Instagram. And then later on, apologized not for the words, but for saying them in the form that he said it. But what was your what was your take on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I was surprised to see that. Just, I mean, Swizz is 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 at such an elite level, and I love. I mean, he, we, you know, you and I have talked about it with Killer Mike and a number of people. I oftentimes at this point appreciate what Swizz has to say in an interview more than a lot of his music, and I am a fan of his music, and I have been for more than twenty years. It was just out of character, and um, you know, he 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 called he called Drake some words. Um, yeah, and I, it's funny, too, because I agree with you. The record sounded almost irrelevant. It wasn't like a joint that was about to come out or anything like that. But it raises an interesting question. You know, I don't know the economics of this, but I don't know if, um, if you know, it was a joint that he never got paid for. And then, you know, Drake, through his own platform, has the ability to kind of drop, you know, unreleased stuff, as so many artists do on their various platforms these days. But, uh, yeah, Swiss, Swiss did, didn't mince words. And also got me wondering, you know, Drake and DMX back in the day kind of had a riff. And um, I remember yeah, DMX. What was that about? DMX in the early, like, 2013, 2014, I was still at Hip Hop DX. And I remember it was, it was, it was a crazy news cycle for us. DMX, I'm paraphrasing, but said that he wanted to – like get alone with Drake in a phone book in a phone booth or an elevator and like beat the shit out of him just because he thought that rap was going soft. And I feel like Drake might have fanned the flames of that by not, you know, he had an opportunity to kind of give X his props and maybe took it somewhere else. Um, I don't know all the logistics of it. I had heard on the Joe Budden podcast last week that there might be some spice due to the fact of, of the Drake record that Swizz worked on fancy back in the day on thank me later. Um, that record was supposed to be a single and a video and plans shifted. So maybe Swiss had kind of laid it on the line back then and didn't see the benefits. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me too. I've never, I can't say that I've ever seen Swiss really have problems with people. Have you? Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, no, nah, not really. You know, he's, he's generally the hip, hip hop diplomat, right? He's an ambassador yeah. for hip hop. Um, right. Yeah. And, you know, obviously he's spoken out a ton for, for X and others. And, you know, he's like curated this amazing platform to showcase, you know, artists at their best. So, yeah, no, I haven't seen that, that kind of negative. No, and I mean, Drake ruffles Fancy, feathers. By the way, Fancy was a hot record. Yeah, Drake has, has ruffled a lot of feathers yeah. over the years. So. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, early in Drake's career, there's a lot of artists, whether you want to go at the Swiss level, which I know was album, and then you have your, your, um, you know, your Fontes and your Elzas and your different folks that were there for Drake when he was making a transition. And it's not for me or you to say, but I don't know that that's always been reciprocated now that Drake has become probably the biggest superstar of the last, you know, 15 years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, but uh, the one point of note is, uh, I, don't, I don't know the OVO personnel like that. I mean, I know Drake and Forty and a few other characters, but uh, Chubbs, which is a name I see more and more, who I guess is like OVO's head of security, maybe slash like Drake's enforcer. He was like, no, nah, I just keep that same energy when you see a Swiss, like apology not accepted. Um, you know. Don't you think uh, that's so, odd though? Like what, I mean, if this is Swiss, like why is security going to like step up for Drake? That's, don't you think that's a little... It's it's no different than like you and I have words and like your man has something to say and maybe my guy has something. You know what I mean? Like it's a moment in the spotlight where tempers are flaring. I would, I'll bet you a, a, a gin martini. We'll never hear from this again. 
Drake might drop a little subliminal that, that maybe we'll sit back and go, ah, was he getting at Swizz or was he getting at somebody else? But, you know, and, and at the end of the day, the record, like I said, it's cool, but it's not groundbreaking. Yeah, well, I think you owe me a couple drinks anyway. And you're hiding under COVID, so I'm not going to take you up on that. <laughs> right, yeah, man, I'll, I'll buy you a Corona, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of COVID um, and, and yeah. you know, great things that have happened aside from you ducking me on drinks um, is, uh, you know, is versus and you know, obviously Swizz and Timberland and Timberland, first of all, Timberland gets like left off on this. Like it, it, it's now just seems like it's Swizz's thing. But um, the next one is, is Monday uh, 29th tomorrow um, or today um, actually. Um, Freddie versus Jason, uh, Jadakiss versus Fabulous. Um, what, what do you think about that matchup? I um, I personally think that if they play by the rules that everyone else seems to be playing, of like go with the hits, Fab will win. Um, you know, Jada, and I'll I'll add this addendum. You know, I personally listen to far more Jadakiss than Fab, but I think Fab's catalog is crazy, and you know. I think even with no asterisks, Fab takes it. But if you look at it and Jada's playing his verse on features or his verse on Locks Records or D-Block or, you know, whatever, it's still Fab. But I, I said this, this, Jada could come and pull some New England Patriots shit if he really did a B-Sides concert and just flat out played nothing but the hard, you know, like mixtape stuff, you know, knock yourself out type records. He could get a hundred percent take it, but I've yet to see in the verses anyone really jerk the wheel and go left. But if Jada really wanted to do a wake up call and curate his own best of catalog as an MC, I think he could throw he could throw public perception, throw the room, and hand uh, you know hand Freddie uh, an L. You know. Yeah, you know, I guess it really comes down to, like, what this is all about. Like, if it's about, like, best bars and verses and, you know, all that, um, you know, it's probably pretty even. I think pe- I think people sleep on Fab. You know, Fab is, like, an incredible mm-hmm. punchline MC, and I think that, like, that's lost because he is, like, on so many big, like, pop radio hits, like, you know, um, especially with R&B hits and stuff like that. But that dude can rap, you know. Um, yeah. So bar for bar. You know, I don't think it's a slam dunk, um, but you know, I think that a lot of um, a lot of pure see Jadakiss as a superior MC, you know, top five DOA. I think um, a lot of people believe, you know. But when it comes to hit records, just I mean, just hit records between yeah. what Fab has, you know, you know, um, I'm so into you, like, uh, you know, stuff with my with all sorts of like singers, like uh, both him as the featured artist and him you know rapping with the hook gigantic we've got monster monster hits for days so i don't think it's a comparison with jada's only you going you going fab he's only got a few radio records right like um, yeah uh, we're gonna yeah um uh you know all about the benjamins um you know what what else like i can't think of too many big radio hits that jada uh he got the joint on the 2009 last kiss um with the uh the Supremes, um, you know what I mean? That sample, um, so bad. Uh, yeah. You're making I, my point. You're making my point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and, 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 and we're agreeing. Um, 
Yeah. And I think that Fab is really one of those artists that people will never feel comfortable to say. Like, honestly, I mean, Fab came out with that first album when I was in high school. I wasn't privy to a lot of the Clue mixtapes that he, you know, put his, you know, cut his teeth on. When I got to college in Philly, there was a bunch of my friends, um, some of whom actually comment on, 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 our, on our post. They were all from Canarsie. They were all Brooklyn guys. And Fab was their guy. Like, Fab was who they rode for as an MC. And I saw that a lot at AFH. Like, Fab articles do really well, but they might not always get a ton of comments. They might not be the most provocative. But people really rock with Fab. Not only the, the Bar You to Death songs, but also the Soul Tape, the R&B features, the, you know, the videos that reference you know, old movies and stuff like that. Fab, Fab's got it, and I think he'll have it on Monday night. Yeah. And that's zero shade of Jada, you know. No. Uh, like, uh, you know, I love Locks. I love Jada as an independent artist, and I think he's supremely talented, you know. Um, but, you know, it really is it's, if radio hits, and I don't, like, put a premium on radio hits, you know. Like, my guy, you know, uh, Kendrick, you know, I, I actually didn't think that, you know, um, French Montana's comment was really – that outlandish to say that he had more hits than Kendrick. When you think about radio hits, like French yeah. has been on some monstrous, monstrous radio hits. Kendrick has only had a few, you know, uh, DNA, I mean, uh, DNA, Humble uh, were big, and those are both Mike Will joints, which were radical departures from anything Kendrick had done before that. You know, he had, I don't even know that All Right was a big radio hit. It was a social, social impact hit, but, you know. Yeah, um, live hit. Yeah. yeah, and Biggie, Biggie was like that. Pools, I mean, swimming pools maybe, but you know, he he hasn't had that many hits, right? But uh, his impact is yeah. gigantic, you know. So I think the same applies for Jada. And I feel like there's a lot more people that might know a Kendrick that might know the lyrics to "Mad City," which was never a single. I've never heard it on radio, not once. Then they might know, and this isn't to throw shade at French Fontana, but then they know the verses of French on the records that he's part of. Yeah. So it's a it's a whole it's a whole thing. And I'll say one more thing. I mean, I do think that the Nightmare on Elm Street album, um, you know, or whatever it was Friday Thirteenth on Elm Street. Yeah. That you know came out at the very end of 2018, if I'm not mistaken. That project was truly, um, you know, my favorite thing that those guys had done in the last ten years. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was incredibly slept on. You know, Def Jam has always been criticized for these end of year kind of like tax write-off releases. That joint, if you've not heard it or you only heard it when it came out, go back because that, um, I hope they do a second one of that because that was the joint. And Swizz Beats on that, he he was the, you know, he was the ace in the hole. So Yeah. Now, do you think this one happens in person or do you think it happens remotely? That's a really good question. Um I bet remote. It would be dope to see it in person. And they did move it to Monday night, which I think is, as we've talked about, you get in high summer here. Um, this does better on a Monday night than a Saturday night all day yeah. long. Do you prefer the ones in person uh, or, or the ones remote? Uh, I don't really have an opinion, but I have heard some people say that if you can get it to one room, it, it makes for a better audio experience. I don't know if that's true or not. Oh yeah, that's definitely true. Like the Alicia Keys, John Legend one sounded pristine. It was the best sounding one I've seen so far. Um, although Jill and Erica, I thought sounded sounded fine too. You know, you know, as we talk about just you know in the, in the closing minutes, um, the Roots picnic happened online yesterday. Um, they they re 
redid it as a voting initiative, which is dope. And um, I am 95% sure I saw that, uh, I saw that Black Thought and Questlove went back to um, the Man Center, which is in a uh, part of West Philadelphia, Fairmount Park. And they did a freestyle this week and it's dope. It's like five minutes long. Questlove drops the beat on East Flatbush Project, Tried by 12, like great hip hop instrumentals. Tariq does what he does. But it's funny because they clearly taped that this week. And I was, um, I was in drive through to, uh, to get my iced coffee in the morning. And uh, I am 90% sure that Black Thought was behind me. And it only makes sense because that particular coffee shop with the drive through is like, a football field away from where they take that. Oh, that's but um, he definitely had some caffeine before he, he spit that. So, as you know, you talk about Benny, man, Black Thought's freestyles over the last, I mean, his whole career, but really over these last four years are insane. Encourage everyone to watch it. It's on their page. So That's super dope. Yeah, you know, I, I prefer these. Um, I actually think I prefer them remote, done remotely just because, like, I think that, um, you know, it, it, the John Legend and Alicia Keys was cool having them play back to back piano, but them having to yeah. get up and dance and stuff during their like, you know, you know, it's not necessarily the best look sometimes. <laughs> like, uh, uh, right. so you know, but yeah. plus the conversation. I mean, Jill and Erica took that to a new plateau of just like, just like you and I are doing right now. I don't like. I know you don't love Zoom calls. You do them all week long, but to to have the undivided attention of meanwhile, there's five hundred thousand people tuned in, but here we are that made for a really cool experience, you know, yeah. um, that's yeah. rare access. So, so I, I, I got it. I didn't even know it was happening, which is sad because I know that's become a thing for you and me. That's like one of the events, the highlights of our year. We go to that together. Kind of like, you know, um, you know, see artists that we have covered for a long time and like enjoy that experience, both like, you know, watching them perform, but also interacting with them bonding you know it's usually when you buy me the drinks that you owe me you know it's a really good time so, like, <laughs> so you know uh yeah the fact that they had to be online this year is, is tough but i'm gonna go check that freestyle out as soon as, as, soon as this is over yeah i didn't watch any of the rest of that but that freestyle is dope and it, that venue um man last year was probably my favorite year ever especially in terms of just vibe and you know as yeah. you remember man, i was sick as a dog last year yeah yeah that's right i was keeping my six feet so social distance from last <laughs> year. i remember that yeah, man. yeah yo man so uh again glad that you are, are, are okay mentally and obviously physically um what's your what's your song of the week man i'm gonna choose out of the great canon of of just like WTF rap records. You know, you and I talk a lot about the joint Kendrick has fear or feel how beautiful that is. I'm going to give it up to Fonte, the good fight on uh, Fonte's first solo album. Um, Charity starts at home. If you are having a bad day, I am convinced that is one of the greatest records of all time. And uh, I'm not having a bad day today, but I had a few of them uh, over the last month. I'm going to give it up to uh, Tigolo, Tigolo, Tigolo. That's dope. That's really dope. Uh, mine is a song that I heard yesterday that has been one of my favorites since it dropped. Like I probably listened to the song once a month at least, you know, on average. And it's one that I got to hit rewind most of the times when I hear it. Uh, but it's DJ Jazzy Jeff featuring Raheem Devon, My Soul Ain't For Sale. You know, uh, yeah, love, love, love that joint. And, uh, you know. Uh, Which but, album was that on? Was, was that on the late? Magnificent, I think, part two. Yeah. Yeah. 
Incredible. That's dope. I'll send you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Please do, man. Well, yeah. thank you. And uh, I look forward. We got guests coming up uh, for some of July. So, man, onward and upward. We got some cool stuff in the pan. All right. Stay tuned. All right. Yep. What's the headline? That's the name of the podcast. I'm Reggie Williams. I got Jay Payne with me. And uh, peace. Peace. Thanks.